so much for being our very first guest on the British Exploring Inspiring Female podcast series. Really excited to have you. And to start things off, for those of our listeners who may not have heard of you, how would you describe yourself and what you do? So I'm, I guess I would call myself um, an ocean advocate, really. Um, I spend um, my, my life sailing around the world, uh, looking at ocean challenges, um, these things that are facing our planet um, that we really have very little understanding about. So things like plastic pollution, these huge areas in the middle of the ocean where all of that waste is accumulating, um, looking at ocean acidification and um, the collapse of our fisheries, and really trying to get um, an understanding uh, on, on what, what's really happening out there and bring those findings back to land. Um, I also, I guess I would call myself a skipper, um, yep. because um, that, that's more of the, the kind of job title, um, but, but really I think Ocean Advocate sums it up, because it's much more than sailing a boat, um, it's mostly about how can we go and access these really remote parts of the world in order to, to make change. Great, well that all sounds incredibly interesting and I'm really looking forward to finding out more all about it in, in a bit. But just to start things off, and I'm sure you got asked this question so many times, but how did it all begin and what led you to doing the incredible work you do? So it, it began actually um, as a, a bit of a fundraising gimmick, Okay. <laughs> if that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, I was when I was at university studying architecture. I was looking for a way to get to Shanghai to research some eco cities, and um, I needed some funds to get me there. And so I came up with this plan to get from England to China and minimise my carbon footprint by not taking an aeroplane. Um, and so I ended up getting getting some funds to do this zero carbon journey, um, and took a train and a camel and a horse all the way across Europe, Russia, Mongolia and down through to China. And it was that journey when I really fell in love with this idea of slow travel and not taking planes. Um, and so a year on, when I had a job as an architect lined up in Australia, I basically wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to experience those incredible transitions, that change in landscape and culture and climate, and most of all, the people who you meet along the way when you're transitioning across the planet. Um, and so that's when I started looking for a way um, that I could go the other way around the world, um, this time by boat across the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. Um, and I came across this amazing opportunity uh, on a boat called Earth Race, uh, which is a biofueled powerboat uh, that had just broken the round the world speed record on a project to really prove the feasibility of biofuels and alternative energy. Um, and they were then looking for an operations manager to run their campaign um, around the world for a second time, but this time to talk to schools, politicians and media um, all about these, these issues. And um, so I applied for the job and before I knew it, um, I was off on this rocket ship around the world. Um, and yeah, and didn't end up coming home for about three years because it was that journey first across the Pacific that really opened my eyes to everything that was going on and seeing these little islands that were covered in this plastic waste and their sea level rising and no longer able to grow their own food and these immense challenges that growing up here in the UK 
um, I might have read about, but I really had no idea of the significance of them. And then seeing them firsthand, um, I just couldn't go back. You know, there, yeah. there, was nothing else. <laughs> there was nothing else I could do but start chipping away at, at finding some solutions for these problems. Wow, well, that sounds like a great way to spend the first couple of years after university. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I was wondering if you could also tell me a bit about the work you do with Pangea Explorations and why you think it's so important to shed light on issues that are threatening our oceans. Sure. So Pangea, we set up five years ago, and it's based around this sailing expedition vessel called Sea Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we take groups of 14 people at a time um, out to very remote parts of the planet to, to look at these challenges that I mentioned earlier. Um, and it's all about taking a, a very multidisciplinary group of people. You know, we within that team of 14, we have scientists, filmmakers, journalists, artists, writers, policy makers, educators, product designers, you know, all of the people who um, really are the ones who, who are going to come together to form the best solutions. Um, and so really it's about, um, Pangea is, is about giving access, it's about connecting people in the ocean, and it's so easy for this vast part of our planet, 70% of our planet, which is ocean, it's so easy for that to be out of sight and out of mind and unfortunately you know so much of our waste ends up um in that ocean and we also take from that ocean um at a a rate that's not sustainable but because it's not there in our face every day um we we kind of don't realize it so so it's really about giving access um but giving access to a wide range of people who then have the skills to all come together to form the best solutions Amazing, great. Well, I'm just touching on what you said there, actually. I read a really alarming statistic recently that said about 12% of land around the world is under some form of protection, but less than 4% of the ocean is protected in any way. I was wondering if through your work you started to see a shift in public consciousness and a greater understanding that the ocean, like you said just then, just because it isn't, you know, a lot of it is unseen, it still needs to be protected in similar ways to areas on land. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like there's a shift happening. It's one of those hard things, though, that um, when you're working on something full-time and the the more you work on it, Mm. the more you get um, into those circles of other people who are working on it. So sometimes I wonder, is it that I'm just meeting more people like me or is the world actually changing? Yeah. Um, But having said that, I really do feel like like there's a shift at the moment. I mean, we've even seen just in the last 12 months, um, you know, the Pitcairn being made a protected area. Mm -hmm. um, It's an overseas territory of the UK. Um, It sounds like there's a couple of others um, on their way as well. We've had the Kermadec Islands in New Zealand. We've had um, Easter Island in Chile. You know, there's these enormous um, areas that have very recently um, become protected. And so I think... Um, there, it, the consciousness has raised um, generally within our society about the importance of our oceans. Um, it will take a little bit of time for that momentum to really kick in um, and, and get, get some inertia going, but, but I do think it's happening. Oh, that's really positive to hear, and hopefully we'll hear more about marine reserves in the news. And I think I've already seen that there definitely is more awareness um, in the media, especially about that. Definitely. So that's great to hear. Um, just another question. I can tell that the ocean must be like a second home to you. And I was just wondering what it is about being on the oceans that you love. Um, I think part of it is um, 
kind of being away from our crazy society that often yep. come, come back. It's like, oh, we, we really do things like that here? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like sitting in traffic for two hours yeah. a day. You know, there's just some things that just don't make sense and they just become a norm. Um, and I find that so refreshing about the ocean. You know, you're, you don't have um, these kind of subconscious messages that we always have in our society um, that affect us on a daily basis without us even really noticing. You know, out in the ocean, you're just, you're in pure wilderness, really. No, definitely. You can't, can't really get any more wild. So that's partly what I love. But one of the other things I love about um, sailing and, and being at sea is that um, you're kind of forced to live in the moment, um, in that on land you have quite a, a big buffer between you and nature. You know, it's very easy to just sort of, um, you know, go to the supermarket and then, uh, like, cook up at home. Yeah. And, and if, if there's something that, you you know, you don't really want to do and you need putting off, like, you, you can just sort of postpone it a little bit later. But at sea, you, you sort of don't have that luxury. You know, if the wind changes or if the waves change, um, you have to react right there, right there. And you have to change your sails. You have to shift your course. You have to, um, you have to respond. And it's actually so invigorating to be in that position where your, your life depends um, on you actually reacting and living in the moment. Um, and it gives you kind of that whole new perspective on life. I definitely agree. I love being out in sea. So. <laughs> Um, I was just wondering, I've just seen that you've come back from Indonesia, mm-hmm. looking at plastic waste, and I was wondering if you could tell tell us a little bit more about your trip there. Sure, yeah, so this trip was really sparked by, um, there was a paper uh, earlier this year by Dr. Jenna Jambeck, um, where she's been looking at all of the sources from land of this plastic that's entering our oceans, because we know that most of what we've found out there over the last five years, um, it actually is coming from our waterways, from land, rather than boats and being dumped at sea. Um, In fact, 8 million tonnes each year comes from land. And there's actually five countries um, that are responsible for over half of that plastic, and Indonesia is one of those countries. And so that's what really sparked my interest in wanting to go um, and assess this situation, you know, in a country that is very different to ours um, and also lots of the other islands that I've worked on um, over the past five years, you know, in terms of how they deal with their waste. Um, And so it was um, a trip to to really kind of analyse the problem and also meet with all of the key players who are already working on, um, on this issue. Um, so you might have seen some of the, the videos and the images that have come from that trip. And yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, and how, how really uh, alarming the situation yeah. is. I mean, I've been dealing with trash for the last yeah. seven years, and I was just absolutely bowled over by the situation in Indonesia. It's just a whole other level. You know, and it's basically that, um, you know, it's, it's a country like many others that ha- actually has been using increased quantities of plastic pretty recently you know in terms of like general access to to plastic by by everybody um and there's no system set up to deal with that plastic you know no waste collection or even any kind of landfill um and so the norm is really just to throw it in in these rivers and these canals and streams that run through um a lot of the villages there and just lead directly to the ocean um, and then some places there are dumps. Um, I'm reluctant to use the word landfill because there's not really anything organised yeah. or filling land about them. Um, 
uh, but it's basically just big piles of waste that's then set on fire, uh, releasing nasty toxic gases um, like dioxins um, into the atmosphere and just into the, the air that the community around them breathe. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a whole nother level uh, with what's happening there. And you know, if we can tackle um, this problem in a place like Indonesia, then we go a lot further to solving the problem. Um, you know, because it's obviously such a big contributor right now. And so all of these solutions, really, for solving these things, it starts on land. It starts with us, with yeah. with every one of us, um, to make a difference, rather than trying to go and clean things up in the ocean. Right. Well, talking about making a difference, I'm sure that many of our listeners will resonate with everything you've just said there. And I was wondering if you've got any advice for how they can get more involved and help to raise awareness about the challenges facing our oceans. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, firstly, it's kind of, um, you know, sort of educating yourself in a way. So so get online, get on social media, on Google. It's just amazing how many resources there are available at the moment. There's actually a really brilliant um, course on marine litter um, that's just started last week online. Um, It's called um, MOOC, uh, um, Massive open something course sorry I've forgotten the full oh no I I think I saw um yeah you you tweeted it the other day yeah Yeah. exactly and it's this free online course which all of the best minds in marine litter from around the world have worked together on to put put this program together um and so that's just one brilliant example of resources out there to to get more information you know, and then it's a case of talking about it. It's sharing these things with your community, with your friends, with your family, um, and getting yourself engaged. I mean, that, and then also it makes it way more fun if you can be doing it with other people, with yeah. like-minded people. Um, and so joining local chapters of uh, communities like uh, Surfers Against Sewage or Surf Rider or some of the other great groups out there, the Marine Conservation Society, who are doing things like beach cleanups and, and work in schools. Um, it's a great way then to just get engaged with your local community on those key issues. Um, but I would also say, you know, if you're looking to make an even bigger impact than just dedicating your Saturday mornings, um, then think about what it is that, that makes you special um, and what you have to offer within that world. Um, you know, so if you're, um, I don't know, if you like playing around on iMovie and, and making little films, then perhaps think about how you can kind of use that skill um, within the community of, of communicating these messages. Um, or, you know, if you're, if you really like drawing, you know, maybe there's a way you can, you can produce an illustration, um, and really, you know, kind of figure out and definitely, uh, that's probably my biggest bit of advice with anyone wanting to go off and, and doing something where they can make a difference. And, and I had to do the same little bit of working out about seven years ago when I set off on earth race. And, you know, figure out what it is you have to offer. For me back then, it was it was organizing events was something that I'd done time and time again and really enjoyed doing. Yeah. And that was my little skill that I had to kind of offer to the big picture. Great. Well, that sounds fantastic. And kind of touching upon what you said about using your talents and stuff. I know that you're a really talented artist and here at British Exploring, our expeditions have a strong science focus and our young explorers who take part in the expeditions get the opportunity to do some fantastic scientific research. But we also believe it's really important to use creative media as a way of capturing and communicating the work we do. And I was wondering if you find um, mediums such as art as a powerful tool in communicating the environmental challenges you come across in your work. 
Definitely, yes. I mean, I must admit, my own personal life <laughs> is a bit more of a way of journaling, um, and another one of those ways that I immerse myself in the moment yeah. by recording what's going on around me. Um, but I've worked with some incredibly talented artists, um, and I 100% agree, art has a huge role to play in creating these shifts, because at the end of the day, you know, you can be thrown as many scientific facts at you as you like, and you won't necessarily change your behavior and your actions. Um, but, you know, if you see um, a really powerful film um, or a powerful piece of art, which is kind of tugging at your heartstrings, um, then you're much more likely to shift the way, you know, you live your life. So huge role it has to play. Oh, definitely. Well, um, I've actually recently, talking about documentaries and art and things like that, I recently watched the documentary film um, produced about the Atlantic 2014 crossing you did with um, X Expedition. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that and how it all came about. Sure, yeah. So this X Expedition project um, was basically inspired by... Um, having looked so much into this plastics issue and realizing that one of the bigger implications of plastic in our ocean is actually the, the kind of chemical toxic implication it has rather than just the, the previous one we'd be looking at, which is more of the physical implication on marine life and things. Um, and the more I learned about um, lots of these chemicals, these persistent organic pollutants that we have in our ocean, things like pesticides, you know, obviously we put all over our land so that we can get higher yields, um, but eventually everything runs downhill to the ocean, so the rain comes, those pesticides end up, end up in the ocean, and we also have flame retardants that are embedded in, um, in all of our clothes that we wear, in our um, home and our car interiors, um, and again, a lot of those chemicals end up, end up running downhill to the ocean. Um, and it, when they come into contact with a piece of plastic, because plastic is made from oil, it's lipophilic, it acts like a magnet to these other persistent organic pollutants in the water around it. Um, and so there's this bit of science to say that um, a, a piece of plastic can be a carrier of these toxic chemicals um, into the food chain, of which we are then at the top of many of those ocean food chains. And so when I started looking at, at what implications those chemicals might have on us, they're basically um, carcinogens that lead to cancer and endocrine disruptors that mimic hormones um, and affect the hormonal system. And particularly for women, you know, affecting things like fertility, uh, that's a huge issue to have those chemicals inside our bodies. And also the only way we can ever get rid of any of those chemicals, man or woman, um, is through childbirth through passing them on to our next generation. Um, and so yeah, I was just alarmed by, by these toxics that are actually invisible, you know, in yes. our society. Um, they're invisible because we can't see them, but they're also just very um, unheard of. You know, there's, there's not really a lot of science um, to, to support um, a lot of the findings, um, and there's, there's just not, not a lot of discussion around what we can do about it. Um, so that's really why we set up X Expedition. Myself and Dr. Lucy Gilliam um, founded it uh, about two years ago now, um, and we really wanted to focus on women because of the the huge consequence that this issue has, um, particularly to women. Oh, um, and the project just grew from there. So. Um, we, we decided to do the first crossing last year to take 14 women from very diverse backgrounds 
across the ocean and we were looking at toxics and plastics um, that we're finding um, in the ocean but we also were looking inside our own bodies um, and we all had our, our bloods taken um, and also hair samples to look at the levels of chemical pollutants within us um, and found some pretty alarming results of the 35 uh, chemicals that we tested for, which are all banned and known hazardous chemicals, we actually found 29 of those 35 within wow. our bodies in uh, significant levels. Yeah. Um, so this isn't something that's kind of, you know, one of these environmental issues which is kind of happening somewhere else in the world. Um, this is happening like right now inside our own bodies um, that, you know, the consequences of our actions as an industrialized society um, are really affecting us on an extremely personal level. Well, I'll definitely put a link to um, that documentary in our blog because I do think that our young explorers should definitely check it out because I love it. Um, and just touching upon that, um, I get a sense that there's a real mission to inspire and encourage female leadership and exploration. And I was just wondering, in your opinion, why do you think this is so important? And do you kind of have any advice for our young female explorers who are about to embark on their expeditions next summer? Um, yeah, it's funny. I've never really, until I did this all-girls trip, yeah. I've never really thought so much about that kind of female empowerment, I mm. guess because I was lucky enough to grow up in a society where, um, you know, where I didn't feel that as a woman. Um, I didn't have opportunities um, that I might have had as a man. So, um, yeah, so it, that's, a, that's a bit of a tricky one. But I would just say, you know, go, go out there and, and take on the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Good advice. That's great. Yeah, we, we proved on our LX expedition last year, you know, that um, that not only we could have a super successful trip across the Atlantic and do everything that we set out to do, but actually we probably had more fun. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I'd say go, get out there and, and just get stuck in and have fun. Oh, fantastic. Great. Well, um. Another question I want to ask is, I watched a TED Talk you did a while ago called How Did I Get to Do What I Do? Which I'm sure all our explorers and followers listening will probably be wondering the same thing. And I'll post a link to it as I think it's brilliant and it should be mandatory viewing for all our young explorers. And I really liked what you said about getting out of your comfort zone, which is something we also really believe here at British Exploring. And for those of um, our listeners who haven't seen it yet, you said that getting out of your comfort zone is not a bad thing because that's going to make you learn new things and that's when you will grow and be further along a path to living a life you love and I was wondering if you could tell us a time when your comfort zone was stretched and what that experience taught you sure gosh I mean quite a few moments <laughs> even even on a daily basis yeah um, <laughs> but um probably the the biggest one was jumping on that that biofueled powerboat um where you know I had no idea what was ahead um I was jumping on this really scary looking boat yeah. with um, a whole bunch of people that I'd only just met you know and I had a good feeling about the project and the people um but you know was sort of living um in these tiny little quarters um I could literally touch uh, the walls of both sides of the boat at the widest point um you know throughout that boat and um you know, a lot of people said about how, you know, isn't it really claustrophobic um, in here? And it was interesting because certainly when I first got on board, I, I had those same feelings. You know, you, you get in and you just think, gosh, this is just so, so uncomfortable and I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but it was amazing as I kind of got into it and um, got over each of those little barriers, 
um, about the people around me and the responsibility that I'd been given that I thought, gosh, there's no way I couldn't actually deliver this. Um, and gently got over one of each of those barriers and definitely came came out a much stronger person beyond. And by the end of the trip, you know, the idea of this boat being claustrophobic was the most absurd thought to me um, that I could think of because actually this that boat for me became a symbol of the most open-minded space, um, you know, that I could have ever thought of. Um, so, yeah, but I think getting out of your comfort zone, um, as I say, it's something that, that I almost actively do now because I know that you get that really like uncomfortable oh yeah. lump at the bottom of your stomach and you just go grind through it um but I know that every time I do that a really good thing comes out the other side so um I almost now kind of force myself into those positions because I know that something great is going to come out the back of it yeah definitely you always kind of grow from those experiences so it's good to grin and bear it yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, um, just one last project I wanted to talk to you about was the Exploring Mindset Expeditions you run with Dave Cornthwaite. And I was one, um, wondering that you've obviously been to some amazing locations in the past, and I know you've just recently returned from the Mississippi, but for those of our listeners who may not know about the programme, can you explain what it's all about and a bit of the inspiration behind it? Sure, yeah. So um, I guess this one was inspired by... Um, all of that time that I've had at sea and the amazing headspace that it puts you in, as I talked about earlier, that away from society headspace. Um, and then also coming back to the UK after spending three and a half years away um, and finding quite a few of my friends and, and family just um, not that inspired with the life paths that they had taken, um, which is very much the, the path that our society pushes you in, you know? Yeah. I remember the careers fair at university, the things that were on offer um, were not necessarily going to lead to the most inspiring um, <laughs> life beyond. It's very easy just to go down that road without even really giving it a second thought. Um, and so exploring mindset is really um, aimed to help um young people, so um, anywhere from usually late teens to 40 or so, um, to really kind of figure out what it is that they're brilliant at, what makes them unique, um, what they're passionate about, but also what the world needs, um, and looking for where those two things intersect. Um, and going back to what I was saying before about making a difference, um, you know, it's a case of really figuring out what it is that you have to offer um, and then turning that into a kind of action plan, really, uh, to go out into the world with um, and, and, and change, change your life um, for the better, to, to live a life that you love, you know, and that you're really passionate about. Um, and so Exploring Mindset takes those groups of people into the wilderness um, to have a series of conversations, really. Um, and we do workshops and discussions um, that go from uh, zooming right in and then blowing right out to kind of a world level. And then also uh, going from the kind of philosophical um, thinking, but also then to the very practical skills based, how are we actually going to make this happen tomorrow? Um, so that you leave with a really solid action plan. Uh, so it's been a really exciting journey um, with Dave to to run these projects first on Sea Dragon for three or four years, and then this year taking the program off the boat and onto the Mississippi. Um, and we've actually now it, we had such a great time on the Mississippi, and we had such an amazing group of people join us there. 
uh, that we immediately booked in next year's <laughs> trip. So we're actually next, um, end of September, early October 2016, we're going to run another Exploring Mindset down the Mississippi. Um, so I'm already very excited about that. Well, it sounds like a really inspiring program, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of demand for it. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Lots and lots of people inquiring, which is oh, great. Fantastic. And um, just to finish on, do you have a favourite destination? You must have been to so many places around the world, and I was just wondering if there's sort of any place that just sticks out as a place that you really love. Um, if I had to choose anywhere, it would probably be Kiribati in, in the central Pacific. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of those Pacific islands are just incredible, and I think I... You know, I crossed them when I was crossed the Pacific when I was twenty one, and I, I almost feel like the Pacific stole my heart. Hasn't yet given it back. <laughs> it's it's an amazing place, but Kiribati, in particular, it's so much more remote than some of the others, and just the people are so genuine and welcoming. Um, it's it's a beautiful place to be. But I think with destinations, it's often a case of um, different places for different reasons. Yeah, definitely. Know? And yeah. there's lots of incredible places around the world that I love to spend my time and and I couldn't live in Kiribati. Yeah. <laughs> but I could spend a long time there. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, and for me, I, I love contrasts. You know, mm. I just got home now um, to Cornwall. Oh. <laughs> it's a rainy day. Yeah, it's not very nice today. No, but it's it's home, and yeah. and I think having having those contrasts, you know, being out in Indonesia on the ground trying to deal with those challenges, um, but then having you know having a chance to then um, spend some time with friends and family, um, and then going off again, you know, it's really important to kind of keep that that contrast. Yeah, and it definitely is good to recharge your batteries before the next adventure. Yes. Well, <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Emily, thank you so much for speaking to me today. It really has been a pleasure, and I'm in awe of all the great work you're doing, as I'm sure many of our young explorers and fellow listeners are too. And I just wanted to wish you all the best with your future ventures. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been great to chat, and thanks for the brilliant questions. That's no worries. Thank you very much. Enjoy.